Good afternoon, good afternoon. Um, we're going to be starting off tonight in chapter 5 of the book of Romans. I see some uh, fresh faces with us here tonight. I want to welcome y'all, say thank y'all for coming. Um, one thing that I want to mention up front is we're about at this point on the 19th sermon uh, of however many this is going to take us to get through the book of Romans. So one thing that I don't want you to do is feel like if you're new or if you're, this is going to be the first sermon that you've heard in this series, uh, I don't want you to feel like you've, uh, like you kind of got thrown to the wolves by coming in. So the first thing I want to do after we open up in prayer is just kind of, uh, read over the text that we were at last week and kind of talk about some ideas uh, that have, that we've uh, kind of encountered along the way through the book of Romans to get us to where we're at tonight. Second, for those of you who have been here for a great majority of the uh, sermons through this, um, I want to say thank you for sticking through this far. <laughs> also, tonight I want us to, to kind of open our ears, open our minds, I want us to to kind of get in a place to where we're ready to, to think and to hear and to wrestle with some ideas. Um, the passage of text that we're going to cover tonight, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through the end of the chapter, are what I would consider in the book of Romans one of two sections of text that can be very, very easily misunderstood. So I would ask, as I open up in prayer, that y'all would be praying for me as I kind of walk us through this text. To do that, we're going to look at some passages of text in the Old Testament. We're going to think about a couple of things along the way because there's a lot in here that we could cover that we're not going to get to cover tonight just for the sake of, uh, just for the sake of time. Um, we are here at the end of a major section, so I want us to cover what that major section is tonight also before we start stepping in uh, the next time that we get together uh, into chapter 6 on the next major section through the book of Romans, uh, through our study of, of the gospel. So I would ask that you would be praying for me uh, as I open us up in prayer tonight, uh, that God's Spirit would just move, that He would do a work to... Uh, to push out any confusion, um, I'm very, I'm, I feel, I feel very limited in, in my abilities sometimes to get truth across, um, and I just pray that we're that we're I like that God would just come in um, and just fill that void and just you know work in your hearts and in your minds uh, in ways maybe even that that I haven't anticipated. So I would ask that y'all would pray for me as I preach through this. Um, as much as I've prayed for all of you in the preparation of this uh, this sermon. So let's open up in prayer, and then we'll kick right off. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for allowing us to gather together again tonight as a body of believers in this place that we could spend time in your word. And I, I pray that as we dig through this text tonight, that your Holy Spirit would work in such a way that you would lead our hearts to a place of worship so that when we end at the end of this service, that we are in that place, that your word has led us there, and that we would worship and then blow out of these doors into the world this week uh, with hearts ready to serve you, looking for opportunities to minister to this world, to this culture, to the people that we come in contact with, whether it be uh, as we're shopping in Walmart or whether it be in our workplaces or in our homes or in our families, that you would continue doing this work that you're working in us and that you would continue using us um, 
in this world to, to reach out to those who are in need of this gospel truth. So as we, as we continue pressing through this, Lord, I, I pray that you would give us, grant us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, a deeper and stronger understanding of the gospel, uh, the true gospel, the gospel that empowers us in such a way that, that it makes believers willing to risk everything, even their very lives for the truth of this gospel, because the hope that we have is not in anything that this world has for us, but our hope is ultimately in the glory of God Himself. Our hope is in You. And I pray that that's been made clear through the study thus far, and that that comes out clear tonight as well. Lord, I ask that that You would uh, speak through me and speak through Your Word tonight as we study Your Word. The Holy Spirit would move among Your people uh, in a way tonight that would further solidify the truth of the stance in which we stand, Lord, that, that your people would understand where they stand in your grace and how it is that they stand there so that it would embolden them so that, that maybe fears that they've had in the past that have caused them to question their standing before you, that those fears would be silenced at the truth of your gospel, the true gospel, the gospel that pushes out all fear. Lord, I pray this for your people. I thank you. Uh, that you would allow someone uh, such as I, someone so broken, so fallen, so much in need of this grace, to be able to stand up before them tonight and share this word, Lord. Uh, I always am very fearful that I fail you. Um, and, and, and I pray that the time and the effort that I've put into this study of this tonight um, could be laid before you as an offering to you, Lord. Um, you are worthy of so much more than that. Um, Lord, and I'm sorry that all I have to bring is my life is um, as unworthy as it is. But man, I thank you for the grace that you would freely choose people who were unworthy of you. Lord, that is the gospel. And I pray that that comes out just so powerful and so clear through your word tonight. It's in Christ's name. It's for His glory. Amen. Alright, so we're going to be, again, like I said, in Romans chapter 5. We're going to be in chapter 5, verse 12. Chapter 5, verse 12 is clearly and obviously a couple of verses into this thought that we've been covering thus far. And last week, there was a couple of things that I wanted us to get out And that's our stance. Where do we stand? And and to kind of get ourselves back, and for any that maybe, uh, this may be the first time that you've been able to join us, I want to kind of just read through the text that we covered last night, and then we're going to talk about some things in preparation for where we're going tonight. So we're going to start reading in 5.1, and we're going to just read down 11 verses. Romans chapter 5. Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want want to stop and I want to make mention of this because it's going to start coming out more and more as we get into this next passage of text that we're going to cover tonight. This idea of through, right? That all the good that you have as a Christian, how is it coming to you? How do you receive this grace? Through 
Jesus Christ, right? Through Christ, all good grace that's been poured out on us as believers comes through Christ, right? So in this chapter, maybe more than any other, I haven't fact-checked this, but what you will find is this word through used time and time and time and time and time again as we push through chapter 5 here. So I just want to make mention of that because it's one of those things that once I mention it to you, you'll notice it every time that we cover it through the rest of this. And I want that to happen because I want you to get this so that as believers, when we start thinking about where we stand justified before God, we don't think that it's through me or through my efforts or through anything that I could do, but we, we get this concept that the, the stance that we have in grace is granted to us through who? Christ Jesus, right? And I, if, sometimes I feel like we need to say things again and again and again and again to kind of knock out of our minds false thoughts that we have oftentimes about how we stay fixed in grace. Because oftentimes when we think about that, we think we have to, to do that, right? And what I want us to get is that we stand firmly planted in grace as believers, and all that we do as believers is out of that position of grace. Through who? Christ Jesus. I this back and forth, let's, let's do this so that even in your own minds it locks in for you. That you understand that, that this grace, that all that is good comes through Christ Jesus. Okay? So let's, let's continue on. Verse 2. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So this idea is that we as believers stand in grace. And I use the word we stand fixed in grace. And, and I, I pray that that comes out and is very clear as we, as we continue pressing through this, uh, through this book and through this text. That when I say we stand in grace, I'm not talking about something that, that we're going to get blown over with the, with the ways of this world or with the, the, the trials that may come at us. But that we stand firm. In this position, right? Because, and, and, and it's critical that we stand here because we don't stand through our own efforts, but through the efforts and through the work of who? Christ Jesus. You, you see where we're going tonight? You see this kind of pattern that we're working through? This through Christ. I want that to be fixed in your mind. Justification is through whose works? Through Christ Jesus' works, right? The position and the stance that we have is through who? It's, it's through Christ Jesus. So, uh, verse 2, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God has, or God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died, 
for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In, in case you wonder or question about where and how you stand, go back through that verse again. Still weak, ungodly, while sinners, justified by His blood. Reconciled to God by His death. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to get this, that you're rejoicing, your ability to rejoice, the fact that God loves hearing your rejoicing is not through the sounds that you make. It's not through the efforts that you take to rejoice in Him. It's through what mechanism, by what means do we rejoice? Through Christ, the Scripture says. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we now have received reconciliation. So the stance in which you are positioned as a believer, right? As a believer is a stance that you have been reconciled to God. And in chapter 4, leading up to chapter 5, we were kind of discussing the idea that, that Paul had laid out an argument from our inability because of the problem of sin to be justified before God. Therefore, we had to be justified apart from our works and apart from the law, and this is where Christ steps in. And then we see the example that is faith in the finished work of Christ by which this is made available to us. The example in chapter 4 that is given is Abraham. And the life of Abraham, right? The guy who started the whole nation of the Jews, right? We see that in him, the first peak here at this faith that we're kind of trying to mimic ourselves, right? So now just like Paul in chapter 4 gave an example for the argument that he had given for justification by faith, now in chapter 5... Paul is going to give an example in the last part, 12, which is where we're, which is the new scripture for us tonight, through the end of the chapter, an example of this idea of through, right? So this is why I make mention again and again and again this idea that it's through Christ, through Christ, through Christ, because we're going to find an example here in the text that shows how it is that justification is applied like this, right? So one kind of question that I have is, as I read through scriptures, as I look at the truth that, that I find is, is I ask myself, like, why that way? Right. Have you all ever asked yourself the que questions like this as you're looking through scripture? Like, why did you do it that way? Right. Like, is this the first time that you've done it like that? Is this something new? Like, like, did I miss something? Have you ever looked at scripture, looked at the way that God has has set out the world and, and you just wonder why like why why like that right why like that am i the only one that looks at scripture and and asks those kind of questions am i heathen or something like <laughs> y'all are listening to me if i am okay <laughs> so that should be scary <laughs> okay so we get here and what we're going to find is that god has in fact given us from the very beginning an example of how justification would work Right? 
the through mechanism here. This through Christ. How is it that I can place my faith in Christ and then that counts? Right? Why is it that that counts when I have a multitude of sins stacked on one side that I can just place my faith in Christ, Christ having died on the cross, and that counts? Right? Have you ever wondered, like, how do... Like, because you think about it, I'm like, is it that simple? Like, you know, is, is it? Like I, like, I think, like, really? Really? And right, now, simple ain't easy, right? Like, sometimes, sometimes the devil's in the details, you know? Um, but you think about it, and you look at, like, I've done all of this, and what do I deserve? Death? condemnation and then I place my faith in Christ and what do I get life grace mercy abundant life abounding life reigning in life we're going to see these kind of words used we're going to see that you believer through who Christ reign in life. And I'm not health, wealth, and prosperity. But you reign in life. This scripture, this truth. I want us, I want us to get this. And it's through Christ. We're gonna, that's kind of where we're going to be ending up tonight. But I want us to be thinking about those things. Before we do that, I want, because I'm going to bring some questions up that we're not going to have time to answer tonight, right? I'm going to bring up some things that if we wanted to, we could spend a whole other sermon series on these kind of questions. These kind of questions would be like the problem of pain, the problem of, of, of sin, the problem of all the evil things that we have in this world. Like, how do we reconcile that with the goodness of God? Like, there's some big questions in there that I don't want us to just like, you know, like breeze over like they're not there, right? So one thing that I want us to do so that we can get into the text here is I want us to understand those questions exist, right? They're there. And you're not a sinner for seeing some scriptures and and being like, I don't get that, right? Wholesale wiping out the planet with the flood. We're going to touch on that. I don't get that. I don't get that. And I don't get that for a different reason than probably many of y'all don't get that. Right, and we're going to get into that a little bit tonight as we kind of look at the text and kind of explore some things that we've been doing along the way. So the first thing that I want us to do, Dad, a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know, for those of y'all who are here with us, you may remember this, when we were over in chapter 2, we were in a particular passage of text, and Dad kind of raised some questions. I, I, I think you had raised them maybe in the service, and I'd pushed you off. I'd said, we're going to cover that later. And these were to do with that. We're going to actually read the passage of text where the question came up. Um, So this is that now, right? So when I pushed you off, and that was probably (laughs) two months ago, (laughs) now's the time you get your answers, right? So we're going to examine some of that tonight. Hopefully I do a good job of clarifying some of these things. Um, but one thing that I want to say is that I in no way, there's a couple of major sections in this that I know when we close this out that I'm not going to have answered all those questions. Now, I'll put that out there to say that, that I spent probably 10 years on Christian apologetics, and if those questions bother you, like, come to me after church, I'll stay and hang around until, you know, I have to leave and put kids in bed, and we can chat about those things. But, but we're not going to cover those, those kind of problems of pain kind of issues tonight. We're going we're gonna to mention some areas that would bring those questions up, and then we're going to kind of explore how those 
in Adam show us some truths about how justification applies to us in Christ. All right? So, so I'm going to read a couple of passages of text. Let's actually, before we get to that in chapter 2, I want us to read one just kind of to kind of get our minds on a particular truth that I don't want us as believers to divert from ever, right? So in uh, Genesis chapter 18, which we're going we're gonna to touch on some of the things that are going on here later, uh, but I, and that's why I chose this particular passage of text to bring out this idea, is because this is in the midst of some of the places we're going to bring up questions. Abraham here asks this question, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Right, so this is Genesis chapter 18. Um, this is the latter part of verse 25. So the last sentence in verse 25. Abraham says, says this, um, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? The idea that I want us to pull out from that, that we hold to as we have these difficult questions that maybe we wrestle with for a season in our lives and maybe we get answers to them. Maybe there's some for us that we may wrestle with for the rest of our lives. One thing as believers that I want us to never move away from is that God is perfectly good, perfectly just. Okay, As a believer, if you believe in the work of Christ, you cannot... You cannot believe that what Christ has done is good and perfect and holy for you, and then also question the goodness and justice of God. Okay, so I want you to I want you to to kind of be planted firmly in this idea that God is just. And Abraham, in in asking this question, is is digging at that idea. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? If we had a judge and he did not act justly, you would boot him out, right? So when you take that when you take that and put it to the highest level, right? The one from which the the very idea of justice flows down from him, then we should come to the conclusion that the one who is going to judge the world will in fact judge the world justly. So I want you to get that and I want you to understand that, right? Hold on to that. You're maybe thinking now, like, I don't know why we're doing that, but when we get into some of the passages and some of the ideas that we're going to talk about here in a little bit, there's going to be those questions that are going to come up regarding that, right? So I want us to be, I want us to be ready for that when it comes. So um, there's a lot of kind of build up into getting us, getting us prepped for what we're going to look at in, uh, in this passage of text in Romans. Uh, if you've read ahead, you know why. Because when we get into that passage of text, there's a lot of confusing stuff, and this build up, this kind of backstory. Thinking these thoughts to get us there kind of prepares our minds to dig through that text. So that's why we're going through this effort. So, Dad, where I pushed your question off a couple of weeks ago, we were in this text in, in uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 12. Um, we're going to read 12 down through 16. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, right? And that was kind of the area we got into there where we were talking about the, the Gentiles, those who were lost, those who had never received the law of God, when they die, what were they still? Lost and sinful, right? Though they had never had the law, right? Now that's, and then you brought up a passage of text that we, there's two places that you could have brought it up from, Dad. Um, you could have either brought it up from Romans chapter 4, verse 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may uh, let me 
no, excuse me, it's uh, 15, the last part of 15, um, where it says, For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Right? So where there's no law, there's no transgression. Yet what we find just chapter or so before this, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. So now I want you to get this, if, you, if it hasn't jumped out at you already, that these statements seem to be contradictory in what they're trying to get across. Right? That those without the law will perish without the law. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Right? And we're going to get into a similar... Uh, that, that idea also is in the, in the passage text that we're going to cover tonight. Okay, so let's go ahead and the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to read through the first half of, uh, of this text. So one thing that I want us to do also, you're going to see here where this, uh, where this idea or this word that has come up. Dustin's done quite a few messages that have looked into situations where this that we're seeing Paul do here is being examined. This is called Old Testament Types. Right? The word is actually used here, so you know, don't be like, why are you throwing these difficult to get concepts at me, Landon? Like the word we're gonna find is in the text that Adam who was a top of the one who was to come, right? Scripture uses that word. So you have Old Testament types. What are these? Old Testament types are places in the Old Testament where oftentimes in the New Testament we find these accounts given as examples to show truth of who Christ is and what He's doing. That's, that's it in kind of simple, short, as I can do terms, right? Old Testament examples testifying to truths about Christ. That is what it means for something to be a type. One thing that I want us to get in this, all types fail in the end to fully encompass who Christ is, right? This is because Christ is wholly other in His traits and characters compared to every other man who has ever lived, right? And that's the good thing. That's why we need Christ. So all analogies to Christ eventually break down, right? So we need to draw these lines of what's the analogy, what's the point that's trying to be made here. And we're going to try to do that as we dig through this, uh, through this text here. So I want us to read from 12 uh, down through 14. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, and we're going to go back and kind of pick this apart. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but Sin is not, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Okay? So again, I wanna, I wanna reiterate because I know sometimes our attention spans can be short. I wanna iterate what the point of all the work that we're gonna put in tonight is, right? Y'all listen to me, at least for this point, right? The point of what we're trying to get across is how it is that this mechanism of justification through the work of Christ works. And we're doing that by example. The example that we're going to use to kind of bring out these truths is Adam, right? 
This example that we're going to use in many ways is a perfect explanation of the way that justification works. But like all of these analogies that tend to break down, if we go too far, it's dangerous. And Paul does the work here to try to keep us from going too far. And that's what he does as we go into 15 through the rest of that. So I want us to think about some of the thoughts that he's pulling out here. And I want us to start with a question that you would have because this is a really fundamental question like where the law fits, how all this stuff works together. When we start thinking as a church, like what is the gospel leading us towards? Because I keep telling you that the gospel that I'm trying to preach to you is a gospel that is going to embolden you to go outside of these walls and share it, right? Share it. To share it, you need to have to share it. Like you must share it. Right? Your spirit must compel you. The Holy Spirit must lead you into this. Because me just standing here and asking you to go out is not going to do it. Right? And here's a truth that is, that is dangerous for us. Right? That the gospel doesn't need to be shared. Right? That the gospel doesn't need to be shared. Right? How does this come up? This comes up when we know that there are people groups Right? I'm talking about entire groups of people in this world that the gospel has not been presented to yet. And as a church, we think, well, they're all going to heaven because surely God wouldn't judge them by something that they didn't know. Right? If the, if they didn't have an opportunity for the gospel, surely what God wouldn't be like, you, you know? Going to hell anyways, right? So we, we, we can feel comforted in that. Because there's adults in those people groups who may die today, right? All the problems that we got with the funerals probably in our church, so at least one person probably goes to a funeral every week. Or at least every month, right? People are dying here. Do you think that's not happening in places where the gospel's not been preached yet? Right? So here's what I want us to get to. I want us to shed off this lie that we've told ourselves that they are going to be okay. Because in some way they're innocent. Right? And how are we going to do that? I'm going to do that by bringing up a couple of places in Scripture. That if we've not done what we've done up to this point so far, you might very well question the goodness and justice of God. And this is, I'm going to do this to, to hammer home this fact, this truth, that we must share this gospel, right? So turn with me to Genesis. Every place that we're at in the text, so this idea of what if they've not been presented with the gospel, what if they're not, particularly the question came up where the law was being presented, this idea in chapter 2 of Romans where for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. This idea, I want us to go and I want us to look at some really, like we do kids stories out of these, but these are some heavy scriptures. And we understand what's going on here. So Genesis chapter 6. This is, this is the flood. Alright? So I want us to look at a couple of things as you're, as you're getting there. Um, 
I want us to explore these ideas because there's a one major truth that's going to come out of exploring these ideas in these difficult ways. This idea in chapter 15, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. The same thing restated in chapter 5, verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, right? What I want us to get as we start digging into these passages of text in the Old Testament is this is not saying that the one who did not have the law or was not presented the gospel will in some way stand before God one day and have excuse. Right? And I want us to understand also that the judge of the world will judge righteously and justly. Right? So here's what we find. When we go into Genesis chapter 6, I want to set the stage for this a little bit. Has the law been given yet? No. How do we know this? This is a simple one. You just flip some pages over and finally you see the laws given, right? So these people would fall into that category. All that came before the time that the law would be given to Moses, this, this idea here for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. We'll see some evidence of that being played out. How many people, by chance, lived eternally up to the point that the law was given and then people started dying? None. Okay. How many laws were given up to the point that the law was given? How many died? Now, you're not going to give me a number here. But how many died... Between the time that Adam broke a direct command and the time that the law was given so that other people could break direct commands. How many? All of them. <laughs> That's, who said all of them? <laughs> Absolutely all of them died. <laughs> Absolutely all of them died up to that point. I want us to get this, right? So how does death, why death? Why does anyone die? Why? Sin. And what is sin? Rebellion against the command of God. Why then, why then, did the people between Adam and Moses die? How many laws did they break? How many laws did they knowingly break? How many commands had God given them? And they said, not going to do it, or can't do it, or won't do it. And they multiply. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I want, us to ex- I want us to examine this, that sin comes and death follows sin. Well, that makes sense then for Adam and Eve. Don't eat of the tree, right? I want you all to follow my logic here. Don't eat of the tree. You eat of the tree, okay, Adam and Eve, you sin. 
You kicked out, and now you can't get back in. So nobody coming after Adam and Eve ate of that tree. Which was the command that had been given. And the law had not yet come. Yet all from Adam to the giving of the law at Moses died. So what must we know? That they had broken each and every one of them a command of God. They had sinned. Because it's sin that brings death. So now we find, and we're not going to read this whole account, but I'm just going to read a couple little places of this. Chapter 6. I'm going to look at verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Down chapter 6, verse 11. Now the, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And we know what happens. What happens? All die in a flood, save Noah and his crew. Right? That God saves and rescues. I want us to get this. So who destroys everybody? God destroys everybody. Death comes to all. Now, I want us to dig into this. Right? The... The babies were not spared in this. The children were not spared in this. Those prior to the age of accountability, whatever that age is, were not spared in this. The only ones spared in this were Noah and his, that God chose to save from the destruction. That he was bringing. Because God looked down on the earth. And what did God see? Evil. Now I want us to, to, get, a, to, get, our, to get our place in this. To kind of uh, to, to get this. Um, I want us to flip back to, uh, to Romans. I want us to, to get that they exchanged the glory... That they suppressed the truth. They exchanged truth for a lie. This is all that we'd covered in. I'm just kind of picking out the little tidbits from Romans chapter 1. And this is all prior to the law. God gave them up. Multiple times it says God gave them up. Though they know the righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. These who, the law had been written in their nature, though it was broken by the fall. Even us, if you place us somewhere and never give us the Bible, we will, we will break the law of our heart. That's how sinful we are. right? We will break the law of our conscience. Our minds will say no and our Flesh will run to it, right? Because all men are sinful and fallen. And the truth that He spoke of them before the flood, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of His heart was 
only evil continually. That speaks of every human being that's ever walked the face of the earth. Let's continue over to where we pulled from this text. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Here we find, again, prior to the law being given. We find the Sodom account, right? So the law's not been given. Let's see what kind of wording and what kind of language God uses when He refers to people. All of this is building up to point us back to, to a truth that I want us to see in Romans. So Romans, or excuse me, uh, Genesis chapter 18. We're going to look at, let's see. We're going to look at verse 20 of 18. And we're just going to kind of read there for a little bit. So, Rome, or we're going to be in Romans, but right now, Genesis 18, verse 20, right? Prior to the law, I want you to get this, prior to the law having been given. This is God saying these things. Verse 20, then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go, do you, sin, their sin is very grave. Before the law, God is counting sin. But what, what about the text that we just read over here? That, But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet now we find over here that God's counting what they're doing is sinful. Is this a contradiction of Scripture? How do we reconcile these things together? Because the outcry, this is verse 20 of chapter 18 of Genesis, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have, what, uh, whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. And Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And, and, and Abraham goes on, suppose there are 50 righteous in the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. And the Lord said... If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Who am I but dust and ashes? Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of the 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak again. But this once, suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went away. And when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place, what happened? 
What happened to Sodom? Was there ten found? In the whole city, not ten found. There were some spared. There were some spared. The ones God has saved from His wrath. Right? God could have justly destroyed it all because if Abraham had got to the point that he said, suppose you had found one. Would you, spare this, would you spare it for one? Do you think the one would have been found? No. And this is before the law. So I want you to get, I want you to get the question going in your mind. How is it that people are sinful? Is it because they break laws? Or perhaps do people break laws because they are in fact sinful? And this is the truth that we will find. Is that the nature that you have, you have from your father, Adam. And in Adam, you sinned. Past tense. I want us to get, I want us to get this. That when Adam sinned, Across all of humanity. Do you know what God decreed? Death. How do we know this to be true? How do you, that seems like a very like broad and maybe quite possibly if, if I wasn't in church, I, I, I would think that might seem a little unfair kind of statement. How do you know that to be true? How do you know for a fact that every single person that descended from Adam whether or not they had the law or not, sinned and was sinful. Because they're all dead. Death is the evidence of that. Right? Death is the clear evidence of where you come from. I want you to get that. I want you to think on that as we flip back over now and we start examining this this type that we're seeing between Adam... In between Christ. Now we've got enough of the backstory to kind of push through this. Hopefully we'll be able to push through it fairly quickly. He, he kind of repeats himself there towards the end. So hopefully we'll just be able to kind of read through that. Okay, so chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Right Now, again, at the very beginning of this, if you were paying attention then, I told you to, to, that, that the word through is used quite a bit in this text. In this chapter, this idea of through is used quite a bit. Prior, it's been used for Christ the Holy Spirit. Now we're seeing Adam and Christ contrasted. So here, this through is speaking of Adam. Right? So when we see this through, this one man, therefore, just as sin came into the world, into the world, through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all men, what? Sinned. How did all men sin? Ray, you weren't even alive. Dad, what's up? Every single one of you, when you read that, did you sin? Duh! Past tense. Do you Let's, re- let's read that again. Maybe you, maybe you missed it. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all men sinned. In Adam, 
This is the idea of original sin. In Adam, all sin. His action, now go Google this, write it down, Google it. The idea of federal headship. This is the idea that we're kind of digging into here in this particular passage of text. This idea of federal headship. That Adam stood on the day of temptation as a, representa- as a, as a representative for all that would come from him. Right? All his children, all his descendants. So when he's tested and tried and fails... In Adam, all men fail. This is the fall, right? In Adam, it counted for you. And again, I ask the question, how do we know that's true? Because sin brings death, all die. Right? There's that idea. So this is the idea that he's kind of going to use here, that, that sin came into the world and through this one man, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. And that's an absolute true statement. Your counting of guilt, right? The reason we all die it's not because you broke a law, right? You, amen. <laughs> it's not because you broke a law. You break laws because of who you are, right? There is a difference there. There is a difference to be made, right? You break laws because you're sinful, right? So in Adam, it counted for each and every one of us, right? In the same way that we're going to see in Christ, His righteous work counts for all who receive it. And there's, there's going to be a differentiator that we're going to, that we're going to find in this, the, the word receive there. So we're not talking universalism in this text. There's going to be this idea of the word many and one that's going to be kind of thrown around here in a little bit. And these are some of those that we're not going to spend so much time on, but I just want to go ahead and mention out there up front, we're not talking universalism, we're not talking everybody gets in, right? That's not the truth that's being told in, in this text. And the one-to-many analogies, that does not in any way contradict where it says few, right? In, in the text we're talking about, you know, you, you look throughout Scripture and you get this idea that there's going to be few that find that narrow path, right? This, where it uses many is not in, a, in any way like contradicting those texts. The, the, the wording that he's using here, he's trying to make this analogy between Christ and Adam. So when he starts using these words like one and many, this is not saying everybody gets in. This is not saying that everybody's covered. There's this aspect of faith that he's already clearly poured out here. But what he's trying to get across in this text is the mechanism or the means by which you can look at what what you find to be true in Adam and see that in that same likeness, justification is poured out on us. And this is for a purpose, right? You, you, I, I, want you, I want you to get that all of this ideas, these thoughts, we're, we're really pushing back to this, we're standing firm in grace, right? We stand firm in grace. And I want, I want, I want us to get that, that all of this effort that we're going to be putting into this text is for that same purpose because just as you can't be unborn from your father, Adam, when you're born by the Spirit into Christ, you do not get unborn from that. And I want us to see these truths kind of playing out in the, in the text here. 
So therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses. And this is the point that he's trying to make here. This is why, this, this wording where he says, yet death reigned, he's tying that back to that statement that he's made before and that he's now making again. That sin is not counted where there is no law. That's the truth. You broke with Adam the original command not to eat of the tree when Adam ate of the tree. Right? That's the connection that he's making here. Right? That Adam stood for you in what he did and you were counted guilty in Adam. So all die. Right? The reign of death in this world is the evidence of the truth that when Adam stood and fell to sin, that all of mankind fell in that moment. Right? Death is that evidence. I want you to get that. Because otherwise, what you would expect to find between the time of Adam and Moses would be people maybe living for really, really, really ridiculously long periods of time. Almost an eternity maybe. And then they sin and then they die because they sin. But people don't die because they sin. Death started in Adam and it's been snowballing ever since. And I would say that this would represent... Also, if you were to go and look, and you were to look at the, the decrease in lifespans that you find in Scripture, I would tie, when I look at that, I would tie death and the effects of death to that. Right? I think we're devolving. Death is taking effect on, on even our ability to reproduce out into the, into the future. That, that life expectancies have been going down and down and down and down because of the effects of death on the body. Death having its effect. Death reigning in all. This is the idea, right? This is what the text is telling us here is that not just that death happened and that death was now a reality, but in fact, death reigned, right? That's the idea that comes out of this text here. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15, but The free gift is not like the trespass. The free gift is not like the trespass. I want to stop and take a second here um, to address this idea of the gift given here. The word here that's translated in mind, free gift, and some just gift, uh, charisma, Um, The idea here is a gift of grace or an unmerited gift of grace, right? So in this idea of free, again, and and this is one of those probably soapboxes that I get on uh, often enough and harp on. Um, I I think sometimes we, we make little of the cost that the gift came at. And maybe I go the opposite end of the spectrum to try to make up for that. But I want us to get that this idea of free is not speaking. I mean, gifts, who pays for gifts except for the giver of the gift, right? 
So if we're looking at this Word and we're thinking about why would gifts are free to, to the receiver of the gift already, why put free gift? Right? Why say free gift? And the idea comes from the, the method in which it's given. It speaks of the giver of the gift. Right? God was not obligated to give this gift. Right? We kind of spoke on it in class a little bit uh, tonight. There's a particular passage of text that, that, I, that I love. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of, our, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. How often? Now Christ died on the cross, why? To redeem us, Right? Christ died to redeem us. But your sins, get this, your sins did not hold Him to the cross. Because He was not obligated to go to the cross for your sins. Jesus freely, of His own choosing, took nails. It was joy for which He went to the cross. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Your sins didn't hold Him there. The joy that He had, that He was looking for, that He would have in each and every one that He would redeem. His love held Him there. His freedom held Him there. No obligation, no debt do you. As though you somehow merited something that he would like. Man, I can't let that one slip by. I can't let I can't let that one go because that one's just an awesome one right there. No, if he looked down today, apart from the grace of Christ on us, he would find the same thing that he looked down whenever he looked down upon the people in Noah's day. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's what would be seen if not for the grace of God. But Christ comes and this gift, this free gift, is given freely by God. Not owed to any man. This is what, this is what makes this gift so beautiful for us to receive. Right? Is that it was absolutely unmerited on our part. And God chose to do the act. He wasn't doing it because he needed to or had to. He did it because he chose to. And this is, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, right? So this, this is supporting that idea that we were looking at earlier, that we all died in Christ. So if many died through the one man's trespass, that's through Adam's trespass, much more have the grace of God and free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Right? So this grace, this gift that's given freely, it's on the backdrop in comparison to the sin and the fall and the death that we find this shining forth as beautifully as it does. And it's given freely. It's not obligated. It's not given out of... Debt, God does this, gives this 
grace freely through the work that is in Christ. And this, this grace is not just there, it's not just a matter of fact, but it in fact abounds, and it abounds for many. Verse 16. And this free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So what did Adam's sin do? I want us to get this. We're getting Adam and Christ contrasted. So Adam's sin brings condemnation. So you find being in Adam what? Condemnation and death. And death reigns over those who are in Adam. Death reigns over those in Adam. But in Christ... Through this free gift, what do we find? So, justification, thank you. So, in Adam, condemnation, death. In Christ, what? Justification. Life. For, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Again, these, this word, I think, is important to note the use of this word throughout, that, it, that death reigned through one man, that it was through Adam that death came for all, through one man, right? Through one man, all die. All die. Death reigns. Through who? Death reigns through whose sin? Adam's sin. And, and justification comes through who? Can you undo what Adam did? Can you undo what Adam did? <laughs> Immediately, y'all start like questioning. Cassie the other day, she's, she's not here tonight. But she was like, I don't ever know if I can answer a question because you always... <laughs> I'm asking it a couple of times because I want you to have this stuff locked down. I want you to be like, yes, move on, pastor or preacher. You know, like, got that. <laughs> so if I tap my right foot, if I tap my right foot, say move on. No. <laughs> Left foot, I'm looking for another answer. Right? <laughs> so through Christ, what comes? No, not through Christ. <laughs> Left foot. <laughs> through Adam, let's give you the, through Adam what comes? Death. Through Christ? Life. Justification. Adam, condemnation, death. Can you undo that? Can you undo that? Can you undo that? You were saying no, and I'm, this is the yes foot. So You cannot. You cannot undo that. Right? Just as, this is the same, this is the same way that you can't be unborn from Adam. You must die. Right? This, and I want you to get this, that this, this idea of death is going to be sh- shown throughout this Scripture. Right? You can't be unborn from Adam. Right? You die. You die. It's death that sets us free, believers. We die with Christ and we're raised to new life. We need new life. New birth. Rebirth. 
Do you see, I hope that y'all see the beauty of these analogies that play through, right? You don't get unborn from Adam. You die with Christ. Set freed from that. To be raised to new life with Christ. This is this picture that we find. I hope you don't think that God was doing these things arbitrarily. Right? I hope that as we dig into the text, y'all start seeing that. Well, that makes a lot more sense now. It makes sense why we die in Christ. Right? So you were in Adam, condemned, being brought together with Christ in the death of Christ. You're raised to new life, justified. Man, this is, this is good stuff. I don't know about y'all, but I, I love this. This is, this is so awesome. Let's continue on. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again because y'all didn't get that. Get ready to amen. Okay? I'm going to wake up. I want an amen on this one. Okay? I'm going to prep y'all. I know it's late and we're probably, I don't know, I have a watch. We're probably an hour and a half in, right? Y'all be ready for the amen on this. I want to point out one thing before we get there, though. Those who receive, right? Those who receive. How do you receive? Receive by faith, right? This idea of faith, this idea of receiving, right? It's not universalism. This is something that comes. He's already been adding to this. So with that in mind, I want to get I want to get an amen out of this one. All right, are y'all ready? Are y'all awake? Amen. All right, you're warming up. You're warming up. Oh, let me get a let me get a drink of water. Amen. Not much. Amen. Y'all are y'all are killing me over here. All right, all right. Y'all ready? I hope y'all are ready for this, because this is awesome, man. This is awesome. Uh, uh, particularly the rain in life part, man, if y'all just want to hammer home with the name in when we get there, because um, that's definitely worth it. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one more, one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, not a small amount of grace, not a tiny amount of grace, not just enough grace, but an abundance of grace. Friends, this is the grace in which we stand. This is the grace in which we stand. Not a, not a knee level, but a drowned me in it kind of abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. We will reign in life through, Francis. Through who? Jesus Christ. Through who? Through the one man, Jesus Christ. We will what? Now I want us to think and consider on this. What if we have cancer? Well, we got to die to this life anyways. Death's got nothing on you, friends. Do you get this? If we get this, if we understand that death itself has lost its grip on us, then we live in a completely different way. 
no fear in life because we have no fear in death. No fear in death. This is where we stand. Do you get this? It gets even better. We're still just in chapter 5. I want you to... I want you to get this, that you believers, you stand fixed firmly in grace. And through Christ Jesus, you reign in life. Where death once reigned, now life reigns through Christ. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Maybe you don't know that. Maybe you ain't there yet. Maybe you haven't placed your faith in Him. This is what awaits. This is what awaits. And this, I, like, when you go out and you tell your friends, and, and they're like, man, I got this book from Joe Olstein or whoever, and I live my best life. Man, that is chump change to what we've got. If your best life is now, then you've missed the boat, friends. Get that. Understand that. That your best life is not now. It's in Christ. So that death itself has nothing, nothing for us. I want y'all, as my church family, to be there. I want you to be there. What a testimony it would be for us as a church in the community, in our workplaces, when the trials press in and they see something different than despair because we hope for something beyond this world. We hope for something more than just ease and comfort and enough money to pay the bills. That even when we can't pay the bills, even when we don't know how we're going to pay the bills, even when we know that that test that we're going to go to tomorrow is going to tell us that we are losing this life, We've already let it go. We've already let it go because this life's got nothing for us. This life has got nothing for us. The life that we have in Christ is going to be so much greater. Therefore, and this is the summary, so we're just going to go through this quick. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, that's the work of Christ on the cross, leads to justification and life for all men. Again, the context of this is receiving. The context of this is believing. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. Through who? Not just Christ Jesus, friends. Not just Christ Jesus. Have you received that? Is He your Lord? I mean, I'm telling you, He's Lord over all, right? He's Lord over all. You don't make Him Lord, you submit to His Lordship. You call Him Lord, but He is Lord of all. He does not need you to submit. He's come for you. If you know Him, 
Rejoice in that. If you don't know Him, fall before Him. His grace will abound to life in you. Let's close in prayer. And then we'll worship. Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your mercy. Thank You for Your grace. Lord, You give Your grace freely to us. We are undeserving of it. Lord, in Adam, with Adam, we deserve condemnation. We deserve wrath. Lord, unlike with Christ, where with Christ we're justified and, and, and it's no part of our works that justify us, with Adam, we add to the condemnation with our own sinful living. We know the law, yet we break it. We know the truth, yet we, ob- we disobey it. Lord, I, I pray that if there is a believer in here tonight, as we kind of close this part of the study, this part where we're digging in to justification, Lord, if there's a believer in here who has been lacking in understanding as to what it means for them to be justified through the work of Christ, I I pray that our effort through this text, this tireless effort that we've put in, uh, that Your Holy Spirit will make fruitful in their lives the truth of of this, that that they don't rest in their own efforts, that they don't rest in their own work, that they don't rest in their own trying and their own striving and their own working, but they rest in the grace that is provided through none other in Christ Jesus our Lord. If there is anyone here tonight that, that does not know this abounding love, this abounding grace, if there is anyone here tonight who is uh, still in the first Adam, uh, who may very well be feeling condemnation and guilt, and uh, rightly so, because apart from Christ, we are worthy of nothing but your wrath, uh, I pray that they would know through the truth of Your Word that that You came to us. Lord, that You came searching for us. What a gospel is this? What, what news is this that while we were in the midst of our sin, loving our sin, that our Savior would come knocking at our heart's door when we were not even looking for it. Lord, that they would submit to the call that Your Holy Spirit is placing on them. That they would bow before You as Lord because You are Lord of all. You are worthy of praise for who You are and for what You have done. I I thank You for Christ. I thank You for the cross. I thank You for this grace that abounds in Your believers. Lord, that we might understand that we reign in life even if death beckons at our door. That we are victorious because we have life eternal through Christ Jesus.